Welcome back to another Teacher's Cup of Coffee. So excited to be here with you today. As always, we are brought to you by NPT Education. Check us out at www.npteducation.com. Also, I'm really excited to say we at NPT Education are going to be partnering with Nova Academy to offer a free four-part 10 PDP experience on how to create a positive, sustainable culture amidst challenges and chaos. We are all dealing with a lot of challenges and chaos right now, and this four-part PDP experience will be a really good way to sort of drill down to what you can do as an educator, as a leader, to make sure that your school stays positive and it's a sustainable culture amidst all that is going on. Check out the details and you can register at NPTEducation.com. You know, personally, in my own life, in my own world of education, I'm still really focused on learning how schools and about how schools and individuals can participate in this moment of social justice. Therefore, I'm really continuing to focus on equity and diversity and how we as educators can be anti-racist in our practices. That's the thing that's got me thinking the most. How can we as educators be anti-racist in our practices? You know, if you're new to my podcast, my five-part series on racism from this past spring and summer really sets the foundation of my thinking, which really leads into the type of podcast I am sharing today. So much like I did a deep dive over five parts into what systemic racism is and how it impacts all of us, I'm going to do the next few episodes and really focus on providing actionable steps you can take towards becoming an anti-racist educator. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to be an anti-racist educator. What can I do? Well, I want to start to use this podcast to share with you exactly some actionable items that you can do in your own practice that we can do because I'm going to be doing them as well. So today I'm actually going to be talking about an article from Educational Leadership Magazine. The article is entitled, entitled Building Racial Equity Through Trauma Responsive Discipline. Building Racial Equity Through Trauma Responsive Discipline. And I'm probably going to get this name pronunciation wrong, but it's by Masera Keels. This is an incredible article which gave me so much to think about. But let's start from the beginning. One thing is clear. All of us educators need to continue to develop our skills in social-emotional support, in social justice, and in culturally responsive practices. No doubt about that. And COVID-19 and this this pandemic we're in makes this even more important because it is disproportionately impacting marginalized groups. Uh, you know, groups of students and their families that were up against it already are facing even larger obstacles from COVID-19. Much of the data and research says that this moment will disproportionately impact black children, both in terms of physical health and mental health. And that mental health stems from, because it impacts more physically, they're gonna have more issues emotionally as they've had family that have dealt with it, have had relatives that have dealt with it, friends that have dealt with it. So it's not just that physical health where it's gonna disproportionately affect black students, but it's also potentially mental health. And then making matters even worse, and this is where sort of you start to drill in a little bit, making matters even worse, black students 
and their reactions, their stress reactions in the classroom and through their behavior are too often viewed as, quote, willful disobedience and will be met with punitive discipline. In other words, the research says we as educators view the behaviors of black children differently than we view the behaviors of others. And so that brings it even more in focus that if I'm going to be an anti-racist educator, I have to stop this cycle in my own practice, stop this cycle in any part of education that I'm impacting. So trauma responsive discipline, here is the answer. This is what we need to understand how to support our students right now. Trauma responsive discipline means, quote, moving away from being emotionally reactive to being developmentally responsive to the needs of students coping with trauma. You know, when students act up, it triggers our emotions and we become upset and we often become punitive. We often want to discipline and we want to sort of take back the moment, take control, because when they are having an emotional response to whatever's happening in the classroom, be it online or be it in person, and, but we then respond with our own emotional response. We need to instead remember what we know about trauma in the moment that a student acts up. And then we can keep our own emotions out of the moment. We need to remember that more likely than not, especially with our students who have faced severe trauma, when they're acting up, that is because their brain has been wired to do that over years of experiencing trauma. So we can't take it personally. We have to take our own emotions out of it, and then we can respond in, de in, a, de in a developmentally supportive way. Huh, that's a lot, I know. And I gotta be honest, this is hard. You know, I, I include myself. We often take poor behavior personally. When students act up and it impacts what we're trying to do as educators, usually our own emotions enter that moment. Here's a good quote from the article for this. Quote, Students who have a history of frequent engagement with unsupportive environments outside of school often also have a history of defeating experiences inside of school. Such difficulties with negative experiences at school compound over time, compound over time, resulting in a mutually reinforcing cycle of negative relationships and expectations between educators and students, end quote. So the kids that are having negative interactions at home bring that to school. They create negative interactions in school. We have emotional responses to their negativity or to their outbursts, and it just becomes this cycle, and these kids can never get out of it. And here, here just... Just think about the kids in your school that are often in trouble. Picture a couple of them. Picture the kids that are often in trouble. Chances are these same kids have the most challenges at home and or have faced a lot of trauma over the course of their lives. So it's not our classrooms, it's not us. It is the experiences they've had at home and is the trauma they have faced in, throughout their lives that brings them to this moment of defiance at school. However, when they act up, we so often tell ourselves, oh, they could control this if they wanted. They don't, he doesn't have to be this way. She doesn't have to do that. We, we immediately throw away everything we know about trauma and we just say they could control it if they wanted. And that's just, it's just too quick how quickly we forget the real impacts of trauma. So if we're going to implement trauma-responsive educational practices, there are two core aspects we must start with. First, we must practice what the author calls emotional neutrality. Emotional neutrality. This is about remembering that although the moment of student escalation does involve you, the educator, us, it is not about you, 
It's not about us. It is generally about much more than us. It is about the child not feeling safe in that moment. Frankly, most likely due to years of trauma that have changed how the child's brain works and how that brain perceives safety. So we must practice emotional neutrality. To do this, we must stay in tune with our own emotional and physical response to the incident. By being mindful, here's mindful again, by being mindful of our experience and our reaction in the moment, we can stay regulated. So as the kid acts up, we cannot let our emotions get revved up as well. We have to practice emotional neutrality by staying calm and remembering that this acting up is coming from a different place. The author also says we could use questions, ask ourselves questions that'll help us depersonalize the student's behavior. So here's some examples from the author. What is making the student feel so unsafe that he needs to show aggression? What can I do to increase the student's trust in me in this moment? Questions like that where instead of just defining what they're doing wrong, we start to, we practice emotional neutrality, we don't get wound up, that's how we're gonna be trauma responsive, and then we say little questions to ourselves that'll help remind us of how we should be thinking. Because we need to ignore the surface level behaviors the kid is displaying. We need to focus on empathy for what's behind those surface level behaviors. So when you're practicing emotional neutrality, you take your own emotions out of it. You don't emotionally react to the defiance or to the behavior. And instead, we try to feel empathetic and think about what is causing, what is the trauma, and how is impacting that immediate behavior by the student. So emotional neutrality comes first. The second thing we must practice is called co-regulation. So co-regulation, this is about meeting students, usually in their moments of dysregulation, with calming and supportive responses that over time really will help them learn how to self-regulate. So like in other words, we stay calm and positive as they flip out. And if they see this reaction often, they in turn learn how to stay more calm and more positive. So that we want to make sure that we are helping them co-regulate. In order to practice co-regulation, a couple things we can do. First, we must consistently develop a caring and trusting relationship with students. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last few years, there's nothing more important that any of us do than develop caring and trusting relationships with students. And that is essential to trauma-responsive discipline. We also must create an environment that is predictable and structured. If our classroom is one of those classrooms that's going in a hundred directions and kids don't know what to expect necessarily from one minute to the next, or if you're teaching online and you haven't really settled into the, the components of your instructional block and you, you just kind of are rolling with it, hoping you get through it, that's not good for kids that have experienced trauma. They need predictability, they need routine, they need structure. And lastly, to practice co-regulation, we got to spend time teaching and coaching and modeling self-regulation. So we need to, you know, talk about Times that we've had to calm ourselves down, times that we've responded inappropriately to something and kind of lost control and what did we do to get it back? And we must have these conversations with kids. That's how we practice co-regulation. And I want to be clear, co-regulation is important in both online and in-person teaching. It should be done synchronously as often as possible. So we want to help kids in the moment you know, live and in person or live and online as often as possible. But it also can be done asynchronously. We can send students personal messages. We can do individual check-ins before or after class online with individual kids. Any creative way you can think of to establish personal contact with a student can help you teach them co-regulation. 
So there's a great quote from the article. I know that reading quotes can sometimes be hard, but sometimes these articles just say it so much better than I could. So it's a great quote summing up the importance of this, all right? Quote, as trauma researchers say, behavior is the language of trauma. Children will show you before they tell you that they are in distress. However, few educators know how to identify and respond to traumatic stress behaviors in children. Therefore, most make determinations about behavior based on the belief that students have the full capacity to choose whether to follow the rules. So not doing so is largely understood as willful defiance that should be punished. This increases the likelihood of racial bias because educators tend to interpret the same behavior as more defiant when done by black and brown children. Punitive discipline is reduced when educators are taught to perceive acting out behavior through the lens of psychological and emotional dysregulation, end quote. That really sums it up. We have to see behavior this way in order to undo years and years of education responding inappropriately, especially to the behaviors of black and brown children. So there's two steps an educator can take when the acting out behavior occurs. Number one, identify the behavior Identify, excuse me, identify that the behavior is stemming from a deeper issue, not just from the moment. So get ourselves out of the moment and remember that the behavior comes from somewhere deeper. And then number two, respond appropriately, usually by naming and redirecting. So here's some quotes that sort of help us through that naming and redirecting. Something is clearly upsetting you. Let's take a quick break from this. Great quote. That talk about trauma responsive, something is clearly upsetting you, let's take a quick break from this. Get the kid away from whatever it is that's making them feel unsafe. Another quote, I know you are upset right now and I'm here to support you. What a difference between, you know, from you need to quiet down, you need to stop arguing back, you need to do what everyone else is doing to I know you're upset right now and I'm here to support you. Here's one last one. I'm going to help you stay calm right now. Talk about flipping the script. For years and years, so many of us educators, when a kid gets going, we get going and it becomes a back and forth and we just want to be the alpha, right? And instead we could respond by saying, I'm going to help you stay calm right now. And that, just think of how much that will diffuse. You know, later on, after the behavior is done, you can review the behavior and of course you discuss appropriate consequences, but not in the middle of the outburst. And that's something I've made a mistake so many times in my years in education where a kid's brain is not where it needs to be to understand the appropriate consequence. And here I am force feeding them this in the wrong moment. So you do that later. When we think in terms of trauma responsive discipline, we change the face of discipline in our school and in our classroom. You know, everybody in education or most people are so used to how things work, right? But if we're doing trauma responsive discipline, we change how things work. That's how it's anti-racist because we're breaking the system, okay? So just think about it. Behavior starts. Kids wound up. Usually we call the assistant principal to come in and take charge and punish the kid and get control. And instead, if we're being trauma responsive, we call the staff that have the best calming effect on upset students. So we call, maybe it's the guidance counselor, maybe your assistant principal is really good at this. 
Who, who could be your principal? Who knows? But you call the staff that's going to come in and not get loud and take control. You call the staff that's going to come in and be calming. And that is trauma-responsive discipline. When we put the focus on being responsive to the moment rather than reactive, we build relationships instead of chopping this down. And just so you know, all of this works, whether we are in person, hybrid, or remote. Because even if you're fully remote, everybody knows the honeymoon's ending, right? So we're starting to see kids act out in different ways and we need to be trauma responsive in our response to that nothing nothing is more important right now in this educational moment than students social emotional needs the educators that succeed for students right now are the ones that will put their mental health first so i just thought that this was a great article and this practice of trauma responsive discipline is something that we can start to practice tomorrow practice emotional neutrality and then help with co-regulation. This article really was a rubber meets the road moment for me. So like I said, I've been trying to discover how can I be anti-racist in my practice as an educator, and this was a clear step I could take. I've spent so much time learning about my own unconscious biases, about systemic racism, about how, this, how all of it impacts education, etc. But this concept of trauma-responsive discipline is something I can use today. It will be good for all children, but it will be especially important for my students of color. I need to remember, I need to demonstrate emotional neutrality when kids are losing it. I need to remember quickly that their behavior is not about me. It is about trauma in their past that has conditioned them to respond this way. And I need to help them co-regulate. In other words, frankly, although I'm emotionally neutral, I still need to engage with them and support them through this moment. So I stay emotionally neutral, but then I practice empathy. I need to help them regain control and calm down. When I do these things, I am breaking the cycle of punitive discipline, especially of students of color, that over time and with repetition completely breaks down their relationship with school and hence often their relationship with learning. When faced with student behavior, stay emotionally neutral and help them co-regulate. By doing this, you and I can become anti-racist educators. Remember, we are brought to you by NPT Education. Check out our website, www.npteducation.com, and check out our upcoming free PD opportunity with Nova Academy. It's going to be great. We'd love to have some of you there. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a good couple of weeks. And keep working hard, and thanks for joining us here at the Teacher's Cup of Coffee. Wake up, everybody.